I want to pick up where we left off from last week with how a powerful thought can change the course of a conversation. It can change the course of a day. It can change the course of your life. And a thought can be a powerful asset or it can be a, power, a, a great liability. And we have to figure out the difference. Now, there's two passages of Scripture that I'd like you to remember and, uh, because I believe that you'll, you might need to turn back to these sometime later. And they're both found in, uh, well, in a, a chapter labeled 10. So uh, there's 1 Corinthians 10 and there's 2 Corinthians 10. And so either one you go to, you're going to find good stuff. But I want to introduce uh, some scriptures to you that relay and convey some of these things about our thoughts. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. All right. First Corinthians 10. Now we're going to second Corinthians 10 verses four and five. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. Now that's not like a get in a fight with your brother and sister or with your wife. That's an argument like a lawyer presents an argument, a line of thinking. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. All right. So there are thoughts that make us weak and there are thoughts that make us strong. What are we going to do with those thoughts? How are we to discern the thoughts? And what do we do with them? Well, one of the things and where we're going with this is what we, what we just finished there with 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. That you can take your thoughts captive. You've got to do some mental sorting. And however you picture it, whether it's, it's the image that Sue gave the kids with sorting the laundry, or like I use in my head, I, I'm, you know... I grew up in the city, but I lived in Kansas. So you go to the rodeo every once in a while in Kansas. But I think of a guy with a lasso. You know, so you lasso that little calf, and then you, you know, like that. And so that's what I'm doing with some of my thoughts in my head, maybe even right now. So, uh, but we have a choice, all right? Now, sometimes I want to talk about one of the other words in there. And, and talk about this idea of, of stronghold. And that sometimes people really spiritualize that. And there's all kinds of strange things wrapped around that. But I want to talk real plainly about what that is, okay? So here we go on this. Follow with me. Sometimes one powerful thought can be taken and built upon with other thoughts on top of it. Think of that powerful thought like a, like a foundation, all right? Take, for example, a powerful thought that makes us strong. Like, I have been born of God. I've been born of God. John 1, 12. That foundational thought can be built upon with other thoughts like, well, if I'm born of God, that means that God is my father. Romans 8, 15 and 16. And another thought is built upon that. Like, well, if God is my father, 
He's going to lavish love on me like a child, like I'm one of his child, one of his children. First John 3, 1. And upon that thought is built another like. And if the father loves me that much, then nothing can separate me from that love. No one judging, no one condemning. Romans 8, 34 and 35. And upon that thought, I have been given what it takes. I have been born to win, born to overcome this world. First John 5, 5. And then when you look back upon those stones of truth built upon that foundation, one strong thought built upon another strong thought, you have a very powerful mental structure, a fortress in your mind and your heart that can withstand many of those thoughts that come against us to try to tear us down. That is an example of a powerful, strengthening, true thought that can be rooted in us. That's an example of a stronghold. Now, I think you know where I'm going with this. There are also sinister thoughts that can make us weak for various reasons. A powerful thought like, I don't matter, could instead be laid down as a foundation in your life. Then other thoughts begin to be built upon that thought of I don't matter. Weakening thoughts like, well, if you don't matter, you better, you better look out for yourself because no one else will. And then another weak thought is added to that. Well, you better prove to everyone that you matter. You better be searching for that significance. It's out there. You better find it. And then upon that, another weakening thought like, no one really cares what I do or don't do. And this is a little more tricky because you can look back and and there is another fortress of thoughts built, a stronghold of thoughts that weaken you. But in this instance, a person may not look weak on the outside because maybe they did pretty good at looking out for themselves. Maybe they did pretty good in finding significance in their accomplishments and things around them. It may be tricky to see that there is weak thoughts and a weak life until a storm hits that life. Maybe the storm is, I can't accomplish what I once used to do. I can't perform the way I once did. Maybe I risked something and I failed. Or maybe that person living independently suddenly found that the aloneness of their life was just overwhelming and crushing. And all of a sudden, the enemy has a perfect opportunity to steal, destroy, and to even snuff out a life. That's simple examples of what the Bible calls strongholds. And granted, those those illustrations are simple. There's more complex ones more complex and thoughts that uh, maybe are more like a line of arguments that a lawyer or a defense attorney would make. Maybe one thought after another, even forming a philosophy of life, a worldly philosophy. But these thoughts can be rooted in us. What kind of thoughts are you going to accept? And which thoughts are you going to reject? 
How do you determine the thoughts that make you strong and which thoughts will make you weak? You have to train yourself to be alert. You have to train yourself to be able to distinguish good from evil. You have to train yourself to not be fooled by the subtlety of evil. Once again, I I come to this point of saying once again why the church, why we are so dependent upon the word of God. Because we can't distinguish good from evil without it. We can't determine, and we don't have anything to hold up a thought to. to, uh, What is the standard? What do you use? We need the word of God. Each of us has got to learn to stand against the enemy's schemes and not be caught unaware of what he's trying to do. The word of God can make you alert. The spirit of God makes the word of God alive in you. We need both. Some of you need to keep up with what I'm saying because you're still back trying to figure out, well, what's wrong with a thought like you better prove yourself? You better prove to the world that you're worthy. Look, exactly what I'm saying, this stuff is slippery. Half-truths kind of confuse us because because it seems like it's light when it's really dark. It seems like it's kind of good, but it's not. We've got an enemy who is a master with language and thought, and he's been working his craft for centuries. He's good at it. Remember what Jesus said about our enemy. He said that his native language is lying. Take a look at the Genesis account of of the first temptation and the use of suggested thoughts, language, half-truth, and outright lies. The first part of the enemy's scheme was to suggest a thought of doubt to Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, the last part. Did God really say? It goes on, but all you really need to remember is that first part because you'll probably hear that same suggested thought. Did God really say? Whatever. Then the second step Suggesting a thought that was really an outright lie. You'll not surely die. Total contradiction to what the Word of God says. Just introducing it. Almost like, that's outlandish, isn't it? You think God would really say something like that? Then the third step, suggesting another outright lie along with half-truth to cause doubt of God's goodness. What was it? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. Part of that's true. Part of it's not. But what, what, is, what is being suggested there? God is withholding something good from you, Adam and Eve. He's holding out on you, isn't he? I, you know what I call this? I call this the, the Jedi, mind, Jedi mind tricks. You know, you remember Star Wars and the, you know, Obi-Wan did God really say? Did God really say that? Hmm. A neat little bug. Yeah? Oh. He didn't leave any bug juice. 
Jedi mind trick. Cause bugs to appear out of nowhere. But you know what I mean. The whole idea of suggesting something. And then we, we actually kind of contemplate it. What, what is that? But, but know that in this scene with Adam and Eve. Know that after the round of suggestive thoughts that are given to him. It's clearly, clearly left up to Adam and Eve. And for all of us today, we've really got to understand that in every temptation, it's our choice. In every temptation, God provides a way out. As we read in the first Corinthians chapter 10, God provides a way out. And we are never tempted beyond what we can bear. We need to ask God to help us to see the way out. We need to ask God to give us the strength to take the way out. We have the ability to bear up and choose to walk away from what's tempted. But do you see the thought progression or the types of subtle thoughts that were used by the enemy with Adam and Eve? And can you see how he still uses that with us today? I mean, the the first idea or that first suggestion was doubt what God has said. Second one is doubt who God is. Doubt his character. Now let me show you a third thought that's a real whopper that the enemy still uses, us, uses on us today. And he used it in the past. You can find it in Luke chapter 4. It's with Jesus when he's being tempted by the, the enemy. And it, it, it's, it's three temptations he throws at him. And, and one of them is, is very simple. We see it very clearly. It's, it's a total effort to test the humanity of Christ and his flesh. And, and the devil says, here is all the power in the world you, I can give it to you if you'll just bow down to me and worship me. And, and we're all pretty familiar with that. I mean, what we crave, what we desire, what we lust for, covet, power, control, sex, pleasure. I mean, th- that sort of temptation is just setting something in front of you. And we've got this flesh on the outside of us that desires it. I mean, that's, that's pretty simple. There's no real trickery to that. It's just an appeal to our flesh. But, but let me show you the subtlety of the other two temptations, which both start with the interesting phrase. And, and what the devil is doing is, is really trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut and avoid the cross. You know, I'll give you power. We'll, we'll go through the cross, and he's Lord of all creation. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. There's that power, the temporary power of the earth. And it, it's real no temptation. Jesus walks right past it. And, 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 but then the other two temptations are also the same, trying to get Jesus to, to circum, uh, circumnavigate around the cross. But they start, the two temptations start with this phrase, if you are the Son of God. Now, we could go in and, and talk more about the two temptations that are interesting, or you can just stop right there. And what is a subtle thought that is really the fourth temptation that's, that's being repeated you know, the, the enemy was again approaching the humanity of Christ to see if he could get him to doubt who he was. I mean, think about it. Jesus was growing up with Mary and his stepfather, Joseph. Wasn't his real father. And what were the neighbors whispering? And what was likely the school bully's insult to Jesus? 
You're an illegitimate child. You were born out of wedlock. You don't even know who your true father is. If you are the son of God. It was, it was a subtle thought. And it was probably one that Jesus laughed at. He said, yeah, right. Nice try. But I want you to know that the enemy uses that one on us today. And I'm afraid we're a little more frail than Jesus. The accuser still shoves his finger in our face and he puts that suggestive thought in front of us and says, if you are a child of God, sure, yeah, right. Some of you have had it thrown in your face. I know. The enemy tries to get you to doubt what God says. The enemy tries to get you to doubt who God is. And the enemy tries to get you to doubt who you are, who God has designed you to be. Did you ever uh, read the story of the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, or, or watch the movies? It's good, good stuff by Tolkien. Yeah. And there's one scene in particular that I think of in connection with what we're talking about today. And that's, that's the thought of, um, it's the king of Rohan. He's the, the, the lord of, of all the horse people of the plains. And um, there's a scene where there's a, an evil character that sneaks his way into the court of the king of Rohan. And uh, this, this character is called Grima. And he's got some sinister things that he's trying to do. And he starts gaining the ear of the king. And he starts whispering things into the king's ear that begin to slowly erode the courage and strength of the king of Rohan. And the things that Grima whispers, the king accepts. And then the king slowly becomes less prone to action. He becomes fearful. And the thoughts uh, weigh on him and then begin to age the king well beyond his years. And then he takes this posture of this slumped down, old, defeated man who no longer discerns or even thinks on his own, but just listens to everything that Grima, and by this time, those in the court who recognize what's going on, they start calling Grima worm tongue. And they recognize what worm tongue is saying, and they, they, they nickname him that. And the king finally is able to break free of this spell of thoughts when Gandalf, the angelic figure in the story, comes and breaks through the thoughts with the power of the truth and the power of his words. Worm tongue. Remember that. Remember that image. Jedi mind tricks. I don't care if you believe that thoughts can be suggested from outside yourself or not. I really don't care. I don't think, I, I mean, I do think that, that if you do recognize that we have a spiritual enemy, that you can have an edge in this battle of thoughts. But at this point, I would just like to convince you that there are thoughts that make you weak and thoughts that make you strong. And if you want to say the source of those thoughts were, were people that didn't have your best interest in mind, or if you want to say that those thoughts were, were somehow in your mind because uh, um, uh, just from your little lovely self doing it, or if, or if it's just uh, a spiritual enemy. I, I don't care either any of those options. I don't care what you think the source is. At this point, I would just like you to consider that you can accept or reject those thoughts. You have a choice. 
And maybe are there some thoughts that you've accepted that you should have rejected because there are thoughts that made you weak instead of strong. I'd like you to consider and examine if there are any of these thoughts that you've built other weak thoughts upon and built them into a fortress of thoughts, a stronghold. So how can you tell? How can you tell if if something like that is going on in your life? Well, is there some point or place in your life, some area where you are constantly failing, constantly sinning? Is there some point or area in your life where you see a pattern where you retreat instead of advancing? Is there some area where you fear, where you despair, where you hate instead of having faith in place of despair? I mean, having faith in place of fear, having hope in place of despair, and having love in place of hate. Think. Think, is there, are there places like that in your life? Examine that part of your life. Ask yourself, why? Why do I fail in that area? Why do I sin in that area repeatedly? Why am I retreating? Why am I, I, I despairing? Why am I have fear? Why is it I have so much anger and hate? Ask yourself, why? And when those answers And you hear yourself answer those questions why. Examine the answers that your mind gives you. And examine each answer with these questions. Is this answer or statement something that I think God would say to me? Is this answer or statement aligned with the truth in Scripture spoken about God, spoken about myself, or spoken about the world that I live in? Ask yourself with those answers when it comes to your mind. Is this answer or statement reality that others around me could verify as real? Or is it just something that I I imagine or something I just feel and it's just emotions? It's not fact. It's not reality. You got to sort through your thoughts. And when you've examined each thought and determined that it's not something that God would say to you or something that is not aligned with truth and scripture about God, yourself, or the world, or you examine the thought and you see that it's only your feelings or your imagination, then you have a choice to do something about that thought. You have the choice to reject that thought or throw it out, or as the scripture says, demolish it. Demolish the thought. Send it packing. But let me warn you, some of you have lived with some of these weak thoughts. You've made them like a foundation for for such a long time that you have a pattern of thinking. There's so many other habits of thoughts that are piled on top of those foundational thoughts that maybe need to go. You can reject the lie that says, I'm an outsider. But you have a pattern of thoughts that follow it, don't you? Like, well, I don't go to social events they're no fun. Well, why? Well, because I'm an outsider. Oh, yeah. I decided that that's not true. I'm going to get rid of that thought. So maybe that other thought isn't true either. You've got to not only kick out the weak thoughts and lies, you've got to replace them with the truth. Kick out the lie, I'm an outsider, and then replace it with the truth, I belong. I belong in the family of Christ. 
God has brought me near. And as you build upon that truth with solid new thoughts, you start knocking out the other weak thoughts. Some of you have been listening to Worm Tongue, and he's making you weak, old before your time, unable to act when you should act, making you fearful instead of courageous. And you've got to shut off that voice. Some of you have been listening for such a long time that, that you're in such a horrible, weak state in certain areas of your life. That's just, it's just a disarray. And you need to hear a different voice. You need outside help. People, I'm telling you, this isn't some sort of pop psychology time, a self-help problem. This isn't just a social problem. This isn't just a philosophical, logic-type problem. This is a spiritual problem that's going to require spiritual help. There is a battlefield, a spiritual battlefield on your mind, in your mind, and you've got to fight with spiritual weapons, and you've got to come with spiritual strength. Where are you going to get that? I believe it's going to take the bright light of Christ to shine on that murk and on that spiritual darkness that has darkened minds and hearts. You need to ask the help of Jesus Christ, the one who can help us walk in faith, walk in hope, and walk in love. He is the one who can help you out of that pit of thoughts. He is the one who can shut off the voice of worm tongue, and he is the voice that you need to listen to. In the next few moments, we're going to continue just a time of, of worship, ministry. And, and next week, we're going to introduce some of these spiritual weapons, but I just want to name two of you, two, two of them that are available to you. And that is the saints, the fellowship of the saints, these people right here, and prayer. And some of you have been struggling with thoughts that have been there for a long time, and you go back and forth. You, you know it's a lie, but you've lived with it so long. And, and so even though you're trying to reject it, you have a hard time putting the truth in there to push it out. And you just need prayer. You need the encouragement of the people of God. And so in the next few moments, if, if you're one of those folks that's just been struggling with, with thoughts... Then, then I want you to know that uh, I'm going to be over here to pray with you. I've got Rob and, and Vicki and Doris, who are people who pray for this church constantly. Um, uh, Sherry's right here. Maggie's here. There are many people here to pray with you. I want to encourage you that maybe, maybe it's time to do that. Maybe it's time to call for outside help. Maybe it isn't. Maybe, maybe it's time, though. Maybe, maybe it's not here. Maybe it's not this place. But maybe it needs to happen in your jail group this week. You just need to to open it up, shine the light on it, invite people in to pray for you, those people that you meet with every week. They care about you. We've got to walk strong together, all right? So in the next few moments, it's a time to invite outside help, prayer, all right?